Since the beginning of time, people have always found creative ways of communicating. This is my way. I'm Kyle Leon Henderson, and we need to talk. Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. If you've been listening to all the episodes so far, you've realized it's been quite a while since the last episode. But there's a very good reason for that, because over the course of the summer and the fall, life's been happening, and this is not my only job. So I just wanted to take a moment to explain myself and explain my absence for a little bit. Um... Well, we decided to move to Los Angeles, and so we've been planning that whole shenanigans, and we have been kind of couch surfing on some of our friends' couches. One of the friends you will meet here on this episode, my friend Kristen, she's been gracious enough to open her home. She has a dog that is now the love of my life, and... um, So, yeah, we've been doing that, but then also my father got sick, and so I had to go home to Alabama for a little bit to be with the family because we actually didn't know if he was going to make it. But turns out he made it right through, and he's coming home just in time for the holidays, so that's good news. But to celebrate me coming back from this hiatus from not recording any episodes, I thought it would be a really fun treat to introduce you all to one of my closest friends who has... uh, who has also had a kind of a rough year. Um, she's in a new apartment, um, which she moved into and then opened her doors to us, so that can't be too pleasant, but she's a good friend, so that's what she did. So tonight we are just coming back from Ikea, which if you live in New York or you've ever been to the Ikea in New York, you know that is no small feat. So we are going to put some food on the table and some wine in our bellies, and we're going to put together some Ikea furniture and have a fun night. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Okay, our bellies are full and we have a full glass of wine. So there's no time like the present to introduce people to one of my closest friends in the world, Kristen. Cheers. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being on the show. Um, uh, we're going to have a little wine, have a little conversation, then we're going to put together your new furniture. But I was saying in the beginning that having you on the show was perfect for right now because I haven't been in the, you know, on the show for a while because life's been happening. And pretty much as our life started falling apart this summer, mine and Ethan's, um, you kind of wrote me this email and kind of revealed to me that your life kind of fell apart this year, too, so. Yeah. <laughs> so it's only fair that we drink wine and commiserate about this idiot year together. <laughs> I will not be sad to see 2017 go, though it has been a very wine-filled year, and that I won't Oh, yeah. About. Right, well, and I don't really drink that much, not because I don't want to, not because... You're the only person I know who makes New Year's resolutions to drink more. Because I forget, like, you know how people get to work and do their thing all day and they forget to eat? I forget to drink. 
So I don't ever forget my ice cream, and I never forget to eat, clearly, because I'm expanding at a rapid pace. But I do, I forget to drink. But we, um, we've been with some friends before we stayed at your house who loves to drink. <laughs> That was Ollie, the dog. <laughs> he, he had to make his presence known. Um, but yeah, all of our friends that we've been staying with this summer have been like, in fall, they've been like, drink, drink, drink. So I'm like, you know what? Let's do. So tell us, what's what's your bit, your year been like? Well, my year started with um, my marriage ending. That's, of mm-hmm. course, what you're alluding to when yeah. you're talking about the email. You email me, you're like, oh, so me and my husband um, are no longer me and my husband. So I was like, well, there you go. Right. And That's... I think at that point it was a few months after everything had happened. Yeah. But I was still obviously trying to make sense of it and then figuring out where I was going to go next as we were planning to move out of our apartment. Mm-hmm. And that was, and you know, it's so funny because there's all, they always tell you to look for the silver lining and all that, but like, you had to move to this new apartment, and you needed help moving to this new apartment, and then we needed some place to live, and so life just kind of thrust you, me, and Ethan together, and we've always been good friends, but we got to be so close over the course of this trauma that we've been dealing with, these traumas, Um, so, I mean... We were the type of good friends who would pick up where we left off. Even exactly. Even if we only saw each other once or twice a year. But don't you feel like that's that's all good friends, and then, like, that's the, that's the test. Right. And it's like, because we talked, you had some friends, and I've had some friends this year, too, that it's like, oh, we missed a beat, and you're really screwing this all up. So, <laughs> maybe we're not such good friends, but, yeah. you know. I've been really lucky this year, you know, talking about silver linings. One of the things that you see... I think in times of crisis is just how much empathy mm-hmm. um, people have and how much they can just really show up. Right. In That's... ways that you never expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, your family members back home, and I'm also from Georgia, a southerner. Yeah. Well, you're from Alabama, but I'm also a southerner. Right. And, you know, your family is worrying about you, and they say, well, I'm worried that you're alone up there in New mm-hmm. York City, and yeah, well, they always do, because every yeah. time there's any kind of, like, there's, like, somebody fell off their bike in Tribeca, and you live in the Bronx, they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I am good. Right. That has nothing to do with they me. You don't quite get the geography. But, I mean, you can't blame them, because every time you turn the TV on, there's something else. That's, yeah. That's just like, oh, okay, and they see New York, and if you don't know New York, you don't know New York. You but don't. It's how, how big it is geographically, and... How long it takes to get everywhere. <laughs> As today. We were on the train for two hours to yeah. get from one borough to the next. It was right. awful. And we were carrying furniture, entire pieces of furniture we were Which carrying. Which is also a very near thing to do, <laughs> to travel to subways carrying large boxes. What's the boxes. What's the craziest thing you've ever transported on a train? Fully erect, fully put together. The craziest thing I've ever transported fully erect? I don't know if that's a question you want. <laughs> <laughs> because we were carrying the, the, you know, Ikea stuff, but of course it's not put together yet. Fully assembled. Fully assembled, sorry. <laughs> the wine's kicking in. <laughs> Clearly it is. Um, uh, what is the craziest thing? I mean, I feel like I'm not really a risk taker when it comes to carrying crazy things. <laughs> yeah, you always got higher lift. Or in general, a risk taker in that way. But um, 
I did feel a little self-conscious carrying these large boxes through the subway today. Mm. Also, when I was moving and I had just left my apartment in Brooklyn and was coming to the apartment in Bronx and making in the Bronx and making that trip for the last time. I had cleaning supplies in a very large suitcase because I knew I needed to clean out the apartment before I left. And so there was like a mop handle and a broom handle <laughs> sticking out of the suitcase. Because I made this, you know, hour-long journey oh my gosh. to the Bronx. It's and like an episode of, like, Scandal where somebody's been murdered and I'm going in to clean up the crime scene before the authorities get there. Yeah. <laughs> I think our biggest, our craziest thing was, I remember we bought an ironing board at Bed Bath & Beyond in Chelsea and took it up to our apartment in uh, Washington Heights. And then we also, we bought a TV. Like, a, I think it was 50-inch TV off of Craigslist from a guy in Astoria. And we didn't know about the M60 bus at the time that takes you across town from Astoria over to, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cl- uh, Columbus, Columbus, uh, Columbia University. So we took the end train from Astoria down to Times Square, <laughs> carrying this TV. And I, I really, there, if you don't know Times Square subway, just Google pictures of Times Square subway because it's a huge hub with at least 20 trains running into it. We carry it from the end. And you know, the N is on 7th Avenue and Broadway, and the A is on 8th Avenue. Right. But it's all underground, so we carry it underground over that big ramp. (laughs) But that was, the thing was, it was during the first blizzard of the year, too. So the snow is coming down, coming up to our cabs as we're walking with this TV through the streets. So I've earned my badges. There should be, you know, New York legit badges. I've earned a few. <laughs> right, right. It's like the episode of Broad City where they purchased the air conditioner. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think every New Yorker said that experience. <laughs> well, I had a friend whose air conditioner fell out of her window. That's always my worst And tumbled on the street. It was in the middle of the night, so there was nobody on the street. But I was like, you could have killed somebody. You could have, like, legit killed somebody. So, which brings me to the point of why we're leaving New York. We just decided that... You're leaving New York so that your air conditioner doesn't fall out of the window. Well, among many things. To, you know, the, us taking two and a half hours to get from Ikea for, in Brooklyn to your home in the Bronx on the trains because of delays in construction. I just read the article today saying that the MTA in New York is uh, the worst of the top 20 subway systems in the world. Right. And it's just like, and people are like, why, why would you ever want to leave New York? I'm like, because you spend so much time en route, it needs to work. <laughs> so, and it's yeah. just, you know, some people don't need, need the nest to be perfect, and some people do, and I do. I need, I need a place to recharge my batteries, and I need the time between places to be shorter than what it is here. Yeah, that was definitely one of the things that surprised me the most when I moved here. I mean, I grew up in a city where you right. could drive everywhere in mm-hmm. 15 minutes, no matter where you were going. Right. pretty much the average time you could expect to commute. And then you spend, you know, an hour going these very short distances in New York just because of the subway. Right. It takes so long. To well, and that's what um, we have a friend. It's Ethan's best friend, Mandy. Uh, you actually met her. Mandy. I did meet yeah. yeah. And she's a friend of the podcast. She's been on. She was so baffled. She goes, I just thought that... New York is like the hub of, I mean, because it really is the one city in the world that, I mean, it's, it's the world city. Oh, oh, he's laying on my feet. Um, it's the world city. I mean, it is the, you know, the melting pot of the world. 
And so you just, she was like, I just assumed that it worked properly. I was like, it really doesn't. Or at least better than it does. Right. And she's like, I just thought that it would be sort of a state-of-the-art type of thing. Because you see all these trains in, in Asia and, you know, Europe that just work really well. And I'm like, not here. This is not even the best train in America, let alone the world. Because and yet somehow we make it work. <laughs> yeah, we do it every day. And people are just baffled. But you know what's funny? After the MTA's troubles, um, people are not so baffled anymore as to why we're leaving. They're like, oh, yeah, we really don't have an argument. You mean people back home. No, people here. People here. People here were so offended when I told them they were leaving. They're like, why would you ever want to leave? And I'm like, well, because, and I'd give them my reasons. And they're like, well, there's traffic in LA. And I'm like, yeah, and we're stuck in a tunnel for two hours down under the ground here. At least I'm in my own car with nobody, you know, in my space if I'm in traffic. But yeah, after that, it's like, it's like Trump supporters. They're just silent now. People who are in favor of New York and us not leaving, they, after the MTA is finally derailed, they're just like, whatever. No pun intended. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, it has. The, the A-Train derailed twice this summer and caught on fire three times. Indeed. People had to go to the hospital because of those fires. Yep. <laughs> it's not just like a little, you know, flicker flame. Anyway, let's take a little break, fill up our wine glasses, and then we probably should get started on your furniture. But the conversation doesn't stop there, so grab yourself a glass of wine and we'll be right back. <laughs> Okay, so we got a little more wine. We actually we, coffee table we actually put a coffee table together in the interim. But I think it's time we unpack the huge mess that it was 2017. Because we're coming up on the end of the year. It's almost Thanksgiving. Um, so you got divorced. Yes. Well, still officially in progress. But... In progress. But what's great is yeah. people shouldn't feel super awful because you and Matt and you're actually on really great terms so yeah we are it didn't start that way at first you know it was very well, you know you're going through a divorce so I mean it's not it exactly confused conflicted and mm -hmm. hurt but I think we had a lot of meaningful conversations I mean one of the interesting things about the situation that we found ourselves in is that we had quite a while until uh, we were moving apartments, and so yeah. we were still cohabitating this space while we were... Sharing, you're sharing a space with yeah, someone you are actively trying to out. kind of grieve the loss of the, the relationship. and Right. Yeah, and so obviously that's very difficult, but I think mm -hmm. um, that ultimately one of the things that came out of it was after many months of kind of just barely talking, we had a chance to kind of say more about what we felt like had really happened. Yeah. And, um, for me, it certainly helped me make more sense of a lot of things. And, um, you know, some of it's my story to tell, some of it's not. Right. But I think... And, it re and really, yeah. honestly, there's no reason to talk about all of that. Right. Because, I mean, it's it really is yours and your soon-to-be ex-husband's, you know, business. But... It's interesting, too, for me and Ethan, because the way that I came to know you and your husband was that I was best friends with your cousin in college. Right, right. <laughs> and 
we moved to New York, and then she came, Crystal, came for a visit, and she kind of put us together. And so we've kind of always been on each other's radar, and we were like, oh, fast friends. And then you live in Brooklyn, and now we live in Manhattan. And not just Manhattan. You lived in Inwood. Yeah, it's not like which, a... Well, we li- at the time we lived at, um, that we met you, we lived uh, at 168. 168. But then we moved up to 200. So right. we were already like... Way up there, and then we moved even farther. Yeah, so for the non-New Yorkers, that's about as far apart as you can get. So, okay, well, to quickly <laughs> run down, you come for a vacation in New York, you're going to visit several key places. Times Square at 42nd Street, Macy's at 34th Street, and the World Trade Center at the very bottom of the island. So you're at 42nd Street, Times Square. I lived at 200th Street. <laughs> right. And if you're going to go to Kristen's old house from Times Square, you would have to take a train for 45 minutes in the opposite direction right. of my house. So it's it was a long way away. Um, so we But we always kind of got together once or twice a year. You always came to our New Year's parties because we've hosted a New Year's party since we've been together. But, yeah, so, I. but we've always known you and you two together. And so now it's been a really interesting transition to get to know you two apart. Yeah. Because I've actually hung out with, with him a couple of times, and it's just so fascinating to see both of you, how you're navigating this new life to get apart. And right. So. Well, I think one of the things that I told you in the very beginning was this is not a situation where you have to choose sides right um and i know that that's something that he's been very grateful for as well and and it's very i mean it really is interesting that i for the first time i do have a different relationship like you i had i sort of had the same relationship with you and him because you kind of came as a package deal just like me and ethan still kind of come as a package deal right um but it's really fascinating to see where because Literally, the second y'all split apart, it really was. It's two totally different friendships now. And yeah. and we really tap into, like, different things in the friendship. So, it's, it's fascinating. Right. Well, I also think he's on a very new and different path. Right. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. true. He's starting a, he. He's in seminary. Separating yeah. from the, from the, uh, the um, divorce. He's in a totally new path for himself. Right. From seminary, yeah. So. Yeah, I think what's interesting, you know, we all grew up in the South. Matt and I both were mm-hmm. in Georgia, and then you um, in Alabama. I think we've all found very different ways of mm-hmm. dealing with, or maybe that sounds a little too negative, um, finding out what the different spiritual or religious upbringings that we mm-hmm. experienced would become for us as we grew older. It's, it's true yeah. because, I mean, it's such a complicated relationship that you have with the South when you're people like the four of us. Right. Um, we have varying degrees of Southern sort of, I don't know what the word is. Identification. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of like, because I feel like out of the four of us, I'm the most closely tied still to the South. Right. Um, but we all have a need to like distance ourselves from those people and that lifestyle but then we also sort of gravitate towards that in moments of need of comfort too so it's it's really odd um and it's fun funny to see like the spiritual aspect of everything because i feel like matt and i are more similar 
than say me or you because I joined a church this year and Matt's going to seminary and then you and Ethan are both sort of spiritual in your own path not necessarily subscribing to any religion so it's really fascinating to see you know the spectrum yeah I think one of the things I did always admire was the way that he was able to in many ways transform a rather dogmatic religious upbringing Mm -hmm. into something that was very progressive and pure um, in its intentionality. I've wished often that I'd been able to do the same thing out of my upbringing. Um, I mean, I also grew up in a very religious family, um, both immediate and extended. Went to, I'd say, about 10 years of Southern Baptist Church school. Um, Do you think it's too late? You said you wished you could have done that. Do you think it's too late being the age you are and of the world view that you have? And I think that I wish I could have done it because there seems to me some kind of comfort and solace that people who are people of faith are able to find in that. And I think especially after you go through a year like the one that I've had, which includes not only the, the divorce, but also... Um, you know, everything that comes with that, building a new life, mm-hmm. and also watching... Um, well, and that's not easy in New York. Like, you, no. any, anywhere at all, you get divorced, you have to find a new place to live, and you have to kind of have a new find a new pattern. When we signed a lease in New York, people congratulated us, because that's a very hard thing to do, and you did it on your own this year. Yeah, that was a really remarkable feeling, and maybe we should, you know, return to that at some point. Right, yeah, exactly. But that that's sort of like, yeah, that's part of the heavy baggage that came with the, with the divorce is yeah. that. So. But also in this year, it's been um, watching also two people that I love very much deal with very serious illnesses, you know, one of them being my father, who was diagnosed um, uh, with an illness that, you know, my family hasn't talked about widely, so... Um, won't share too much, but it's certainly right. been um, been very difficult to watch from a distance because mm-hmm. um, you know I'm I'm not there. And I think you know in conversations with my mother, I was just home a couple of months ago, and she was talking with me about the ways that she's dealt with this because she's been just really quite remarkable in how she's handled the situation where she's watching her husband deal with this illness. Um, He's been in and out of the hospital for so much of this year and has really had to step up and in many ways has become his caretaker and has just been right there by his side throughout all of it. And, of course, with that also comes, um, you know, logistical stressors of uh, worrying how you're going to continue to support yourself when you're dealing with things like that. And there's a compartmentalization that comes with that, too, that... Yeah. can get exhausting. Right. But one of the things that, you know, she was talking about was how turning to a faith in God has been for her this great solace. And mm-hmm. trusting that things will work out has been how she's been able to get through it. And she was telling me these things, and, you know, finally I said, well, you know, that's just not the belief that I share. I certainly respect that that's yours. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work for me. That doesn't provide solace for me because that's not what I believe. Well, the obvious question here, what do you believe? Sometimes I don't know, which I think is an okay answer. I feel like 
I often feel like things happen for a reason, that there's some perhaps, you know, higher being or consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that it's uh, an, an entity or a being that determines what happens to us or indeed can change right. our fate or outcomes. And so I think that that's, that's kind of the belief where there's a fundamental difference. You know, mm-hmm. I think for my mother and so many of the people that I grew up around or went to school with during those years, there is a belief that mm-hmm. God can change the outcome. Yeah. And when you don't have that... Well, and, and there's also... And I will say that I'm closer to that of what your mother is than probably than you and you know because you know I do believe in some in, in God and but it's interesting when you start thinking about it it's like well how does he merit that how does he she this higher being let some people live and then let some people just keep getting sicker and sicker is there a meritoc- meritocracy that right. that exists that I'm not privy to or you know so I, I get where the reticence to to subscribe to that comes. Yeah. And Even I, sitting I think, within it. I think because I've seen you know. so many people, or I mean not so many, enough, that are just very good people, or very innocent people, um, succumb to very difficult diseases or death. You mm-hmm. know, my one of my first experiences with death was when I was eight years old. I lost my best friend. She died. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, for me, a very pivotal event in my life where I began to see everything through the lens of how do I love the people that I care about now? How do I love the people that I care about so they don't have regrets when they die or mm-hmm. if they die? And that's something you and I shared one day. I remember I remember the day we talked about it in the kitchen um, that we both lost someone very early. I was six, you were eight, but it's like, that's far too early to be dealing with mortality, but we did. Like, that was when mortality became and sort of in our lives. when it's a, another child, mm-hmm. right? It's obviously something that you grieve if you're a child and you lose, say, a grandparent. Um, right. But it's very different when you realize uh, it, no one is safe. That's mm-hmm. how I remember it. Right, because when I was five, my great-grandmother passed away at 85, but then when I was six, my first cousin passed away at 18, and it was like my great-grandmother didn't affect me, but it changed everything the next yeah. year. It's a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. I actually remember that I was determined that for anyone that I cared about, I always wanted, if I didn't see them again, that the last thing that I had said to them was that I loved them. Mm-hmm. And so prior to the death of my friend, I would always tell people farewell in the order of I love you. Bye. Yeah. And after the death of my friend, I switched the order. So I would say, bye. bye. I love you. I love you. Wow. So that if I never saw someone again, that was the last thing I said. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. And and that was eight years old. So that was over 20 years ago. And it has sort of developed the way the person you've become today. Yeah. I think it still permeates the way that I navigate relationships especially the ones that are most important to me. I find that there's a very fine line between um, happiness and sadness in very close relationships. Mm -hmm. At least for me, the way that I've always experienced it is kind of that sense of 
this person means so much to me, and yet it's twinged with, uh, or tinged with, uh, if I love this person that much, what depth of pain would I experience to lose them? Wow. It's a very realistic way to look at relationships, also a very painful way, and I don't know how many people think about that. Sometimes it felt like it makes me very abnormal that I navigate so many relationships in that way. It's such a very sad orientation. I can see that. I don't navigate relationships in that way, but I do navigate life in a way of I'm going to die one day, like every single day. And it's been, and this is really kind of hard to talk about, but I don't know. It started when I went home for my dad's illness. I started navigating every single day with I'm going to die very soon. What do I make of that? And, but it sort of encompasses in that with how I interact with other people. Because, I mean, even just this week, I've had some very hard interactions with strangers. The mailman yelled at me at work because I didn't say thank you. And I was just like, it really shook my core. Because I'm like, I didn't solicit this. Why is it? He's like acting like I'm a villain. And then the lady spit on my face on the train, that which was a whole thing. I don't want to go into it. <laughs> but it's just like... I kind of see where I could see how you could be that way with relationships because I've sort of attached that sort same sort of like probably more cognizant thinking than most people put on something. I do it every single day too with life itself. So yeah, it's, I mean, I think you and I might be abnormal or perhaps we're just the ones that are willing to actually say it. Who knows? Yeah, it is so interesting. It is very much, I think it sounds like we've internalized that sense of mortality, but have applied it to two different mm-hmm. things. Yeah, I mean, I, how, how, how would you describe, like, how your friendships, from the moment your, your friend died, I guess, after sort of the grieving process, once, I mean, whatever that looks like for a child, because, I mean, I don't really remember how long I grieved my cousin or, you know, what. But after you started looking at friendships again, would you say that you had other deep friendships like that? Or did it sort of like that was the benchmark that every other friendship is sort of, you know, held up against? I certainly think I had other deep friendships. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've... I've always been a person that I don't invest in relationships unless I find them to be very meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I I identify as an introvert, but interestingly, I feel... Some people joke that I'm, you know, the most sociable introvert that they know because I have... I feel like a lot of friends that Mm -hmm. I really and deeply care about. But, you know, even among... um, all of the people that you might have in your life you consider very good friends there are still the people that rise to the surface or emerge as people who are transformative in mm-hmm. your life in some way yeah and, and it's funny because you and Ethan are very this. similar in that way yeah that it's like you're both very introverted but I I see I have well, I won't say I see but I have seen the core of, like, where your extroverted, you know, underbelly lies. Because, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it. Because, I mean, but, I mean, I've lived with you for so long now. <laughs> but, you know, I, the two of you, it's so funny because both of you still identify as introverts. But I'm like, but I've seen your biting sense of humor. I've seen your anger. 
and the ways that you lash out at times. I've seen those things because I've been close enough, so it's so fun. I mean, that I just love getting to know people on that kind of level. And I think that's something that I've been chasing my whole life is just friendships that are that deep, so... Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that, like we were saying earlier in the show, that we would see each other, you know, once or twice a year, and yet it always felt like we would pick up where we left off. And mm-hmm. then we've had this very concentrated amount of time where you've been here and advanced at this really big move that you're about to mm-hmm. make. Um, and, you know, the time that you've been here with me has also been um, very much... A comfort and a solace mm. in this time of Because this is your, you're alone in this apartment with your dog. Yeah, yeah one gallon of doggies, I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll have to put a picture of him on the website so everyone can see just how fabulous he is. He's pretty fabulous. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's been a navigation this year. I mean, I guess we're all stu- we're all dumb for thinking that it could have actually been any other way than the way it is because I mean we were we were there together when you know when when we were getting ready for Donald Trump to become president and and I don't want to I mean I really don't think it's fair to put all the blame on him this one human um but something happened this year like there is a paradigm shift in this on this planet there is. I, I mean, I was, but but it seems to have started with him. But I, it's <laughs> it just can't be just this one idiot who had a reality show that has that much power over all of our lives. To well, I have to know. say, what was so interesting is that I feel like many people, at least in the circles that I tend to travel, <laughs> right? Well, I, I don't think any of our listeners are <laughs> like. I bet she hangs out with dipshits in a bar, <laughs> so. They know you're intelligent. They can tell. I feel like I just heard a lot of people say in the aftermath of the election, oh, it'll be so glad to see 2016 go. Oh, yeah. And I just remember thinking, and I tend to be sometimes a little bit of a cynic, but I just remember thinking, how on earth is 2017 going to be any better? (laughs) Well, it's true. the presidency is just, his term is just starting. Because... Up until December 31st, 2016, Barack Hussein Obama was our president. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, you think it's yeah. going to get better next year when somebody else takes the reins? I just had no idea that it would be the political and the personal all kind of experience. Well, and I had yeah, such yeah. a different expectation on this year. I, for some reason, anything can attest to this, I was like, I do feel like, I didn't feel this way until after the Electoral College vote. In December, because, you know, we were on because I was part of the group that was hoping that the Electoral College was going to do its job and be like, no, Hillary's our president. She got more popular votes. I I, I mean, I really was campaigning for that. The cynic in me thought, no, it won't happen. The, The backlash of that would be too severe. Well, and you're absolutely right. It didn't happen. I mean, three people. She needed... I don't remember. It was like 56 votes or something. I can't remember the numbers. Somebody can correct me at some point. But anyway, she needed a pretty good bit. But it wasn't like an unattainable amount of people changing their mind. But three people changed their mind. So I was like, whatever. It's not going to happen. But after that happened, I sort of realized that everybody was going to... 
that something was gonna good was gonna come of 2017. I said I feel as though everyone's gaze has been very ex- external. Everybody was looking out, trying to do good, and forgetting about their own well being. And I said, but I believe next year people are gonna turn their gaze inward and start working on themselves. And I was right about that. But oh, we had work to do. <laughs> you know, it's like. That might or might not have been how you looked at it, but once you turn your gaze inward, your marriage is over. And once I turn my gaze inward, I'm not a New Yorker anymore at heart. I'm like, I'm, and I'm like quitting my job, joining a church, moving to Los Angeles. It's like, well, damn, this, <laughs> once you turn inward, you got to deal with what you're looking at. Yeah. And we were all looking at some real ugly stuff, I think. So Definitely. One of the hardest things for me is that prior to this year, I've been very involved in women's rights activism. Mm-hmm. And um, even early in the year before, just before things kind of started to unfold, you know, I led a bus of over 50 people to D.C. for the women's that was so. That was so moving. And I, yeah, I just remember really kind of being out of my comfort zone, leading this bus full of women in these chants, which was just, mm-hmm. it's a really great thing. But you know what I was doing that day? Tell me. Because, um, but, and, and I want to preface this, I was like, looking inward, finding ugly things. That doesn't include me joining the church. That is actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me. But... I was looking at the absence of an organizational spirituality that I was yearning for. It's Episcopal Church, if anybody's wondering. Um, they're all wondering. They're all wondering, what, what is this church? <laughs> Southern Baptist? Kristen couldn't handle it? <laughs> what is Kyle doing? How are they friends? <laughs> but, um, but, it's, but part of the becoming an Episcopalian, you have to go through... Well, it's different at each parish but the parish that I was at they have a very very rigorous formation um what they call it formation where you study and you have to go and you you have to do certain things just to like to really absorb yourself into the spirituality that we're trying that you say you want to be a part of this is going to really absorb you into it and that day the day after the inauguration or it might have actually been the day of the inauguration we went on a retreat. It was a silent retreat upstate. You weren't allowed to talk? I didn't talk for three days. Oh, my God. <laughs> How <laughs> did this happen? Exactly. But it's just so funny because I'll say this, and anybody from the church can be mad if they want to be mad, but, like, later that night, I laid down in bed, and I did start looking at news on my phone, and we were kind of, like, not encouraged to use our phone, and I really didn't use my phone, but... I knew what was going on, the inauguration, the women's march. It was happening, and I was just, like, looking at the news, and I saw your Facebook and your Instagram and everything, and I was like, she's really doing it. And I had the exact opposite. I wasn't talking. I was in the wilderness, in the bitter cold, walking a labyrinth in prayer over what I was seeing was Donald Trump becoming our president. And... What I knew, what I knew was going to be a terrible situation and was absolutely right. And all those millions and millions of women marching that day knew it was going to be a terrible situation and they were right. But it's just so fascinating how different people handled things yeah, on that there's, day. There's something really beautiful about what you were doing. I just remember feeling like I heard a lot. Um, these things are more important now than ever. 
right. uh, whatever these things might be at any given moment, you know, whether that's activism mm-hmm. or uh, being engaged politically or being kind, you know, you would just hear that a lot. These things matter now more than ever. And one of the things that I remember saying to the women that were on the bus, and some men as well, mm-hmm. um, were was that I think that these things ha- don't matter now more than they ever have. And there was kind of this look of surprise. You know, a few people who had been looking <laughs> down at their phones kind of looked up. I'm like, what is she about to say next? Or people were like, she's an idiot. Like, it <laughs> does matter now more than ever. But what I said was, I think that we're seeing now the effects of what happens when you don't treat those qualities. Mm-hmm. Activism, kindness. Um, I'd actually contextualize it um, talking about how Gloria Steinem always says that we need to create a circle, that we've moved into cultures where we talk to each other in hierarchies rather than in circles. Mm -hmm. And I said, what we're seeing now is the manifestation of what happens when you don't value that as much as you should. It's mattered as much as it's always Mm -hmm. mattered. We're just seeing now what happens when you don't value it. Well, and... I know. I mean, and I'm learning every day, and I want to continue learning every day how to be a better human in the context of that. Because I'm white. I'm a white man. I'm not a straight white man, but that doesn't really matter. Because you don't see my sexuality. You see a white man. And so I know that I have a lot to learn, and I want to listen. But um, it's just so fascinating to me that people like us white people all over the world were just devastated over this and but then there were people like Gloria Steinem who were like I was hoping for better but I'm not stunned that this is how it's happening and I'm just like yeah and and I get it and I, I get that I mean it just to me it just it just tells me how much we should be listening to them because they had the facts they've had the research I mean because Gloria Steinem has been on the road for 40 years 50 years. I don't know Quite how... literally the name of her most Right, her recent <laughs> book, which, you know, I'm. we're both very big followers and supporters of her because she's doing the hard work. She's, I mean, she's there, but it's like people like her, they weren't shocked because it's what they've been fighting for their whole lives, and she, I think she kind of knew that the stakes were high, and this was really the one moment for people to put their money where their mouth is that women are equal and we voted for a sexual assault well perpetrator we we voted for someone who's just like not even not even because right now we're in this moment where women are speaking out I, i said that on facebook the other day i said nobody spoke out against him he told us what he did (laughs) And we still voted for him over not just a woman and not just the most capable woman to be the president, but probably the most capable human and most prepared human of all time to be president. She did not win. (laughs) So it's so devastating. And I'm I just finished her book. What, What happened? And I'm like, thank God that I finished it just days before a year, the year anniversary of the election, because I was like, I'm ready to put this, all these horrible feelings to bed, because I relived it, I cried, because she actually wrote her, she actually printed her acceptance speech, or not acceptance speech, but her victory speech 
in the book that she's like, I'm going to print it here because I never get to give it. And I'm just like, just go ahead and just like rip my freaking heart out. All that being said, you know, it, what I had thought would happen probably did happen, but it didn't look like what we thought it was going to happen. There was divorce and let down and, and disappointments and, you know, facing mortality again. So, right. I mean, yeah, a lot of that. I mean, do you think, do you think 2018 is going to be better than 2017? I certainly hope so. <laughs> that's, see, that's good. The cynic in you is shutting her mouth now. And, and the, the hopeful girl deep within, the extrovert, she's like, please let it be better. Yeah, I, just, I hope to refine the part of myself that can re-engage in activism again. You know, so much of this year has been spent in that ancillary mode that you were talking about, going through your dark night of the soul or I think we needed you that. I mean, I, th- I think it was important. To sure, I think it was paramount. Yeah. A form of self-care. I think that, I think that's probably one thing that I think people who are worried, because I mean, <laughs> I started annoying people at this point. Like people, because I'm obsessed with Lucille Ball. But after this, really? I am. Yes, <laughs> you should know that. I had no idea. <laughs> I was about to say, if you know me at all, you know that. But when people, people in my life began became, or began to put Hillary synonymous with me, like it was, so, I was so entwined in that campaign that it self care was out the window. It was like I need to start moving towards it. Which, in all fairness, here's here's my little you know humble brag. Uh, my selfie with Hillary was made the official Hillary selfie for the campaign of 2015 by Politico magazine. Well, it was really kind of an awesome selfie. It really was. You should describe it for Well, because she was, um, I was working at Rockefeller Plaza, and she was on Ellen, and Ellen had launched her show that season from where the Christmas tree is at Rockefeller Plaza. And where I was standing was in this storefront, and... She was coming out of the, um, she was coming off of Ellen's stage backstage, and the backstage was right in front of our storefront. So there's this like little alleyway between Ellen's big, huge set and the front of our store where she's walking around, and all these people are at the door over on the far left trying to like see her through the door. Well, I'm, and I work at the store at that point. So I go around to the other side in front of our display window when she's walking by. And I'm as close to, to her as you and me right now. There's just a sheet of glass between us. Mm-hmm. And I knock on the window. And I'm just going to, like, wave at her and, like, tell her how much I love her and everything. And she's, like, she stops and looks at me. And I'm, like, you know, <laughs> silently just flipping Freaking the out. shit out over her. And she's just, like, I mean, she just, like, puts her hands together like a, like a prayer. And she's, like, thank you so much. Puts her hands on her heart. And she even blows me a kiss. And so I'm just thinking, oh, a selfie. I mean, because I've never been like a selfie king or anything. Right. But I'm like, I'll have a selfie with her walking away, um, you know, with me in it. And so I turn around to do a selfie. And I see, I don't even see her over my shoulder. I see on my computer screen that she sees what I'm doing. And she comes lurking right up behind me. And she's standing behind me. 
in the selfie looking over my shoulder and we're together in this picture. That's so good. You'll have to post that on the site when you I will have to post it on the site because yeah. I'm working on a works cited page type thing where I cite all the sources of what we talk about in each episode. So I'm going to put that on there. But yeah, I was just like, and then I posted it on Twitter and Politico Magazine was like, um, we're putting together our first hard copy issue. Um, and we'd like to use your selfie. And I just gave him explicit permission. Didn't know what it was going to be for. I just thought it was going to be selfies of the campaign. And they made, like, this is, like, the official Hillary selfie of 2015. So have you framed that page of the Politico? No, but my yet? mom has um, has uh, several copies. Like, it was so funny because they are only selling Politico magazine in D.C., I think, at this point. They might have sold it here in New York. But it was very limited. I, could, I never found it. Um, but my friend that I went to high school with, uh, who's a Republican, working in a Republican senator's office, found it. That's how I found out. He, like, posted it on Facebook. He's like, I'm just having my morning coffee, and look who I saw in my Politico magazine. And so he sent a few copies to my mom, because he really was close to my mom, who was his teacher in high school. So, But that, that was just how intertwined in this campaign I was. I kind of lost where I was going with that, but, you know, it's what happens when you do a humble brag. you got to really be in control. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just such bleeding heart. I've, I felt like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if people in the past felt this way during an election. I think it just and I was felt just too like young. there was so much at stake in this election. I remember taking the subway the morning after. And, oh, me too. I mean, I didn't live here during 9-11, but... I do remember people describing how mm-hmm. everybody was just so quiet and also kind. And that was um, mm-hmm. the same way that the subway was the next morning. Really? I just remember it was being, it was so somber, you couldn't hear a pin drop. And people were just you yeah, know, standing I mean, out of the way you to see let you people in the door. Being crying. Calm. Multiple people crying yeah, on crying the train. On and the you don't wonder what they're crying about. You know exactly what they're crying about. Yeah, it was. It was something just very sobering about it. And what was odd was um, I was still in retail at the time, um, and I was the manager of the cashiers. But that particular morning, I had to wake up at seven a.m. or be at work at seven a.m. to open the store. And that particular morning, I did not have a cashier, so I had to be the opening cashier. And so I'm there all alone, and nobody's out. It's, it was a rainy day. I mean, the weather was perfect for how we were all feeling. It was dreary raining gross nobody was out this one lady comes up and it wasn't kindness at first it was funny because she said i I said hi how are you today and i've been crying all morning and i said how are you today she didn't even answer me and i I was not having it i'm like not today hillary lost last night and no one gives a shit more than i do clearly so, because I was in Politico magazine because of her. No one else more than you. Right. Well, you know, I think that's, you know, we all were just like, I don't know. I just felt like we all had that moment of like, does anybody else feel as hard as I do? I don't think, I think you probably had a different situation because you work in an office full of women. Mostly. Um, but I was just like, not today. You're not going to ignore me today. I'm kind. You're going to be kind to me. And I said, I said, how are you? Like, I got pissy with her. And she looks up at me and she goes, how the hell do you think I am? And then we just stare each other down for a good maybe eight, nine seconds. And then we both just start crying. Oh, my God. And then she grabs my hand and she goes, we're going to be okay. Because she's probably like mid-40s. Mm-hmm. And she's like, we're going to be okay. And I said, I hope so. And I said, I'm really sorry. 
And she goes, I understand. She goes, over your goddamn dead body, will somebody be rude to you today? And she goes, and I was rude to you. And she said, you're rude to me, and I was rude to you because we're, we don't know what to do. And she's like, but we'll be okay. She goes, we've been through worse. And I said, I was born in 87. I grew up in the Clinton administration where he balanced the budget and we weren't at war. I said, I have not been through worse. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. Well, good luck. <laughs> and she walked away. And it was just like this moment where I held hands with a stranger that morning. And, you know. What a human moment. It, it was just, it was perfect. It was what I needed. And then I went to my boss. I'm like, I'm going home. <laughs> they were like, what? I'm like, I, I can't stop crying. He was like, I'm going home. <laughs> so, and then they were like, can you not just, I'm like, hello. No, I cannot just. But, you know, what are you going to do? Keep moving. So what are we going to do next year? What's, what's, your, what's your plans for the future? Because you've been through... The divorce, you've been through all, you know, the the health scares of your closest people are still up in the air, but you're compartmentalizing and taking it day by day, and hopefully that, you can do away with some of your other stuff, like traveling for work. You've, I mean, you've traveled hundreds of thousands of miles for work at this point, this year. I don't know if it's quite that many, but (laughs) I definitely feel like... I was not home for about two months straight. Right, because I, oh, I kept your dog through that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> what, what do you think you're going to plan for 2018? I haven't thought that far ahead. You know, I think I'm looking forward to um, figuring out what my new normal is because in some ways I've been traveling so much I haven't yet been able to find my own rhythm. or my. I think I found my own way or I'm finding it, but... Yeah. I think rhythm is an important thing to life. and I definitely see a change in you. Yeah? Like, you said you were an introvert, and I don't know how much of it is the fact that once you, you know, at the time that everything fell for you was the time that I started sort of started sleeping on your couch and, and stuff, and we got to be more, even more familiar with each other. But after all this, you're, you talk more, and you seem more... I don't know, I won't say grounded, because that's not the correct word, but you, you were not as, you know, overtly speak your truth. You were just kind of be your truth, and now you're being your truth and speaking your truth in a lot of ways, so I see a, a shift. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, a lot of this happened just before my birthday, which is in mid-February, and mm-hmm. a very close friend of mine gave me a card that said... You know, I know that things are very hard right now, but I have no doubt that you will emerge more you. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, went on to describe what she believed that to be based on how I had been in my relationship with her. And I think there's some truth to that, Mm -hmm. that you do kind of become more you. In my case, you know, I married so young, um... Think you're just starting to kind of form who you are, and I, th- even though I was often a person who had a strong sense of self, from mm-hmm. I think as long as I can remember, because I've always been a very introspective person, even a very introspective child. Yeah. Um, but there is something about I think going through things like this that forces you to emerge more you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the truth. And I um, I was reading the new book 
Origin by Dan Brown. And that was something that this, this atheist who was sort of, he was sort of predicting because he, he created a, a computer program that could predict based on patterns of the past what the future would look like. And something he said was that after, after the complete chaos comes a more sense of self and a more structured movement forward. And if it feels like all the chaos is here and every all the chaos that you can possibly handle is right here right now then that's probably a good indication that tomorrow you're about to stand on top of the mountain that's kind of paraphrasing so you know i don't think any dan brown purists are going to be listening to this podcast but it, it's paraphrasing but it it's it, it just felt so very appropriate because you know in different ways it just it felt like i was going through hell and you were going through hell and a lot of other people we knew were going through hell because, I mean, I can't forget that you're not my only friend going through a divorce. Your ex-husband is my friend going through a divorce. Right. And, you know, and it's like, and I'm not your only friend who has kind of made choices and lost their home and had, you know, worrisome situations with family and stuff. My partner is too, you know, so... It's not, and it's not just isolated in yeah, the four of us. Yeah, also watched your dad go through very... Right, I mean, you and I, it was sort of almost year. eerie to think that we were parallel, you know, watching our fathers, these men that were always so strong in such moments of weakness physically. So, but, so, it, and it, I guess it might be, you know, we, they couldn't, you know, gauge the whole world off you and me, but... It felt like the world was crumbling because everybody around us in our immediate lives was crumbling. And but it just felt reading that felt so appropriate that it's like, OK, I maybe maybe you're right. I know this is fiction, but maybe there's a reason that I'm reading this right now to just get the, you know, the, the little burst of energy. And I've actually started something that has helped a lot, not helped everything, but I, I always try to forget the past in a lot of ways like whenever I'm like getting very weary of like oh I've been through so much it's like don't think about what you've been through think about how you feel today and then what you have left to accomplish to get where you're going and just let today be day one and then accomplish those things how does that work out some days it works well and then some days I'm like oh forget it it's <laughs> I have been through it and I'm not gonna forget it I'm exhausted and I'm you know, just want to cry and watch weird movies and eat chocolate. So, you know, I guess that's the nature. But most of the time, whenever I go through these existential crises moments, there's somebody older than me to tell me, well, this is how adulthood is. So just suck it up. <laughs> that's what they say. Sometimes <laughs> it's not very helpful, but it's probably true. <laughs> but, you know, so... How about we take a little break and then we can end our show on a high note. Sounds good. <laughs> so I want to talk about this apartment because we're moving to L.A. and because we, we're moving because we're tired of the trains, we're tired of 
small apartments and all that jazz, and then you found this place. And this, your apartment actually made us question whether or not we should move, if this is possible. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I hit the jackpot of New York apartments. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it does come with a commuting price. It is a little bit far right. out of the city, it feels like, but... Or the heart of the city, anyway. Right. Well, I mean, then that's the trade-off, because you can live on Central Park West by yourself as a single woman in an apartment the size of your kitchen. Right. And be 10 minutes from work. Or you can live in an apartment. Let's see. Our apartment was 300 square foot. This is probably... 800 square feet? That's about 600. Oh, is it? Yeah. Still, that that doesn't seem like a lot to somebody who might be listening from, say, Alabama, Georgia, or Texas, but in New York, that's like a mansion. Or at least, no, that, yeah, yeah. that's not a mansion. It's like it's Relatively. like a 2,500 square foot home on a two acres of land. <laughs> that's the equivalent of what you're living in here, and you did it all on your own. With your little Ollie. It's a nice amount of space for New York. Mm-hmm. I think what came down to what it came down to for me was just figuring out what did I value most. Um, you know, some people said, "Well, for me, if I went outside and all of the things that I would ever want to do were right at my doorstep, wouldn't matter to me what my apartment looked right. like." And I know that I'm a person who really needs a place that I. Mm-hmm. I can relax and call home in order to feel like I can rejuvenate and restore myself. And, and you're so, kind of a minimalist too, so you yeah. you, you like not things nice and clean and pristine, and so it just it's very warm and welcoming because you have all these windows. Like okay, again, our apartment, <laughs> twenty blocks south of here, had two windows, both of which overlooked a back alley and had no direct sunlight. You have one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten windows in this exact room with one more in the bathroom. It's pretty nice. <laughs> That's stupid. They gave you all the light. <laughs> Plants just love this apartment. But um, but yeah, I mean, we've always said too that it is a trade-off. You either live very close to things and have a miserable home, or you live very far away from things and love your home and have a miserable commute. Yeah, I've always said there are three factors when you're looking for places in New York. There's commute time, Mm -hmm. space, and cost of rent. And you can only have two of the three at most. That's true. That's so true. Yeah, because our apartment, it was was only $1,300 split two ways, so that's not bad. No. (laughs) But we didn't get sun. I've tried to make things grow in that apartment, and things just died the second they came into the room. They didn't even wait a day or two. But, um... But yeah, this is this is nice. So, do you have more plans for your home? Do you want to? What what what's the life of your home look like for the future? Because well, right it's new, it is, so there's yeah. no home, there's no like. And traveling, normal. I feel like I've not been here as much as I would have liked. Um, but certainly, you know, these tables that we just put together mm-hmm. really make it uh, start to feel a little bit more like home. Mm-hmm. And I would eventually like to get a desk as well. Or, yeah, because you, you need a workspace. Proper kind of dining table. We'll see which one I end up going with. But I really feel like this is a good spot to, to pause and enjoy it for a while and then figure out. Yeah, for sure. And it's a good time, too, because it's winter. So yeah. it gets, you're, it's dark when you leave work. So you just come home and get cozy with your pup and, you know, watch some television or listen to music or whatever. I'm going to the land of perpetual sun. Whenever you need some, come see me. 
<laughs> You're like, I don't need it. He just don't rubs it. it in. Okay, so before we go, I want to just do a little rapid fire because uh, I usually do this with everybody. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions and you just answer them as quickly as you can. Don't overthink it. And we'll have a little fun getting to know you a little bit better. So, okay, what is your favorite book? Lola LaFong's We Are the Birds of the Coming Storm. What is your favorite vacation spot? I was just in San Diego for the first time, and those beaches are amazing. Oh, yeah. Those, I love Southern California beaches. Um, what is your favorite Britney Spears song? Sometimes. Oh, yeah. I missed that one. That's album one. Um, what is your celebrity crush? Who doesn't love John Krasinski as <laughs> Jim in The Office? So not just John Krasinski. John Krasinski as, as Jim, Jim on in, The Office. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. That's funny. Okay. I think that's a good place to end. I don't think there's anything else we can talk about after that. So That sums it up. Do you want people to follow you on social media? I would say the best place for people to follow me would be Medium and my is at home to the sea. What's medium? It is a kind of blogging place, but much more nicely designed. Okay. I'm going to have to check it out because I'm an, I'm an idiot for social media, so I'll probably have one at the end of the day to go with my Etsy and Pinterest, things that I don't use. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm trying to get better at that. So do you want to Twitter or Instagram or is it just, or does all your, all the best of you come to medium? Oh, you can follow me on Instagram, too. Also, Home to the home Sea. Home to the Sea. All right. I rarely tweet. You won't find me. <laughs> I'm trying to get better at Twitter, Snap, all this stuff. I can't do it. It's, I'm an old school person. But anyway, you can follow the show on Facebook at the group We Need to Talk. The conversation comes from here to there and from there to here every time. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kyle L. Henderson, on Instagram at Kyle.L.Henderson. Um, Snapchat, I think, is Kyle L. Henderson, too. But don't forget to rate us on iTunes because the more you rate us and give us a good rating, the more easily people can find us. So we're going to go and finish up these tables and polish off that bottle of wine and go to bed. Sounds good.